Good morning, church. You know, I say this every Sunday because I truly, truly mean it. I love, love, love being here. I love proclaiming God's truth. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching at home or from wherever you're watching. And today, as Pastor Tim mentioned, we are beginning our new series, our Christmas series that we've entitled Christmas Songs. And through the whole month of December, we're going to be looking at it's just people in the Bible who sang songs. A psalm is a song. So we're going to look at some psalms of celebration. And this season, that's what it's all about, rejoicing, celebrating the coming of the Messiah. And today we're going to focus on a song of faith. Faith. I think that's an interesting word. I think it's an interesting concept. I believe that a lot of us have different definitions about faith, different ideas when it comes to our faith. Usually when we're talking about faith, we ask somebody, what, what is your faith? We're asking, what is it that you believe in? What is it that you trust? Now, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes my faith goes a little low and a little lower and a little lower. My faith sometimes is high and low. It just keeps doing this, you know. And, then, and you know what makes it even a little more confusing, at least to me, we read in God's word that it says, without faith... There is no pleasing God. So, so what does that mean? We can never doubt God? Because I know in my life, because we're an authentic church, I know in my life I've doubted God. And then we, we hear about Jesus telling his disciples in a way scolding them and says, man, ye of little faith. If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you would tell the mountains to move and they would move. If you had faith... And ask me anything, it will be given to you. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking to myself, I think I have faith and I've prayed for things and God hasn't responded the way I've wanted to. So does that mean I don't even have the faith the size of a mustard seed? And then what do we do? We compare our faith. You know, I look around and I see a whole bunch of testimonies. You know, last week we heard of a great testimony in the Flores, and I, I think to myself, now that's faith. I, I don't have that faith. Is anybody else with me on this journey? Faith. And you know what we're doing now more than ever? I think we're using faith to bring people down. We're living in a time where we're just so divided, pushing people down, thinking we're better than others. Man, you're wearing a mask. You got, you know, vaccinated. Where's your faith? We have t-shirts that say faith over fear. I've been scared. I'm scared of airplanes. Does that mean I don't have faith? So what is it? What is the true definition, the true meaning of faith? See, God's word has every answer that we could ever imagine when it comes to our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And I believe the author of Hebrews has a very clear definition of what faith is. And Hebrews 11.1 1 reads like this. Now faith, and he's going to mention two things, is the assurance of things hoped for. And the convictions of things not seen. The assurance to be sure. And the convictions of things not seen. Now conviction here has a, 
a meaning of there's enough evidence to prove that it is even though it seems like it's not. I believe what the author of Hebrews is saying is saying faith is to be sure. Faith is to change your perspective on how you see faith. And faith is to be convicted that there's no doubt even though, even though it seems that it's not. And today, what we're going to look at is the story of a man named Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And I believe, as we're going to see through his psalm, his song of faith, he's going to have an aha moment. He's going to say, I get it. I understand now. Now I think I have a better understanding of what faith is. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 67 through 79. Luke chapter 1, 67 through 79. There is a Bible on the chair beneath you if you need to grab one, if you don't bring one. And we do have the verses on the screen behind me. But let me give you some context before we jump into today's verses. Now, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is a period called 400 years of silence. Intertestamental area, if you may. Why is it called the 400 years of silence? For 400 years, God had not spoken to his people through prophets. When we see in Malachi and then we start in Matthew, between those that turn of the Old Testament to the New, those are 400 years that have elapsed. And during those 400 years, there have been a lot of changes. The Jewish community, the Hebrews, the nation of God was under persecution, under captivity by the Roman Empire. And for centuries upon centuries, and especially those 400 years, the Jewish people have been praying for a Messiah. One that would come and free them. But they were thinking more, free me politically. I don't want to be under bondage is what they were saying. And so we're going to pick up the story of this man, Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. And he's in the temple one day. And he gets the honor, the privilege of going in the temple and burning incense. The incense signified the prayer of the nation. And people are literally outside praying. And Zechariah is praying with incense. And he's married to Elizabeth. They're old in age, Luke tells us. But they were also barren. And the way Luke describes them is that they were righteous people before God. And one day he's in the temple and then we read that the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appears before him. And Zechariah is freaking out. So would I. And Gabriel says, you know what? You and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a child and you will name him John. And Zechariah says, what are you talking about, Willis? You, you've lost it, bro. No way. And Gabriel says, ay, muchacho, you don't have faith. You don't believe God. And because you don't believe God, you're not going to be able to speak until what I told you is going to happen, happens. And so be it. Zechariah can't speak. And then we pick up the story later on where they're having the celebration, the circumcision of John. And there everybody's gathered and they ask Elizabeth, Elizabeth, because remember Zechariah can't speak. Elizabeth, what's going to be the name of this boy? Elizabeth, Elizabeth says, we're going to name him John. And everybody starts laughing, wait a second, how can that be? The father Zechariah, should it be John? Is the father Zechariah? No, I'm just kidding. And so 
They turn to John, right? And they say, what is the son's name going to be? And Zechariah grabs his board and says, his name is John. And at that moment, he bursts out into song, realizing this aha moment. It happened. It is. Why did I doubt? And so that's what we're going to pick up today on the verses. And we're going to read, starting, like I mentioned, verse 67, chapter 1. And his father, Zechariah, was filled, which means to, to be absorbed like a sponge with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. Now, remember, 400 years, not a word was spoken through the prophets. And finally, God speaks through Zechariah, and he prophesies, and he celebrates a song of faith. And this is what he says. Blessed be the Lord, verse 68, God of Israel. Why? For he has visited and redeemed his people. Now pay attention. If you have your Bibles with you, underline these two words. Visited and redeemed. Past tense. Now Zechariah was celebrating the fact that God had already redeemed his people. Back in Exodus, we read that they were in bondage and slavery under Egypt. And Moses got them out of bondry, out of slavery. And he's saying, we've been redeemed. And I know we're going to be redeemed again. But again, the mentality, I believe, that Zechariah is thinking, redeemed from being in bondage like we were back then. Redeemed politically. He has visited and redeemed. And he's celebrating that. Before we go on on the... A psalm of Zechariah, there's three things we need to know. And if you don't know, this is what you need to know to give us more context. Every Jew, every Jew knew that the coming of the Messiah had to fulfill promises. Three very important promises that God had given them their forefathers. The Davidic promise, the Abrahamic promise, and the promise given through the prophets. And so as we're going to go on and what Zechariah is going to start celebrating about, saying, wow, they've already been fulfilled. How did I miss it? We're going to see the promises that was given to the people by God. And Zechariah is celebrating his faithfulness. So promise number one is this. That Messiah would be our protector. That Messiah would be our protector. That through the seed of David... Messiah would come and protect us and reign forever and ever and ever. So that's why he goes on in verse 69. And he has raised up, past tense, a horn. Horn is a symbol of strength, a symbol of power. Has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Through the seed of David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. As he, I believe, as Zechariah singing the song, he's starting to get it. We're not going to be saved politically. We're going to be saved spiritually. Saved from all those who hate us. Save us from the prince of the world. From our enemies. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 132, 17. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed, a horn. The strength will come through David, the seed of David, the Messiah. Then Zechariah goes and, and realizes how the second promise given to the people has come about. 
And promise number two is this. Messiah would be our righteousness. God promised Abraham that through his seed as well, there was going to be a substitute in our place. That through the Messiah, he would come and stand in our place. And we will receive holiness and righteousness before God. He says this in verse 72 through 75. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, his promise. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. How? In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Through the seed of Abraham, there would be a substitute, a Messiah that would stand before us and allow us to serve God without fear. And we read that in Genesis 2. Abraham, like Zechariah, was barren. And the angel appeared to Abraham and said, you are going to have a son. And God always keeps his promise. And they do. And later on we read that Isaac, his son, is about 15 years old. We kind of figure that out. He's about 15. And God tells Abraham, you're going to take your son, your only son that I have given you, and you're going to sacrifice him. And Abraham doesn't doubt. He goes up to the mountain. And right before he's about to sacrifice his son, we read this in Genesis 22, verse 12. God says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. I know that you trust me. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. A substitution. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, provide, as it says to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide a substitute. And Zechariah is going to go on, but now he's going to be looking at his son John, and he's going to get it. He says, I see it now. You, my son, are going to be the one that's going to point out and say, behold, the Lamb of God, not a ram, a perfect, unblemished Lamb who will take away the sins of the world. Redemption will come through him. I get it, Zechariah saying. So he goes on and he celebrates this. And promise number three is this. Messiah would be our redeemer. Through Messiah, our sins would be forgiven. And, and check this out. The Davidic promise doesn't promise forgiveness. The Abrahamic promise doesn't promise forgiveness, redemption. Only the new covenant that the Lamb did promises redemption. And that's what we celebrated this morning. Redemption that comes through Messiah, the Son of God, redeemed you and me. So like I mentioned at this point, Zechariah looks at his baby, verse 76, and he says, And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. You are going to be that prophet 
that fulfills the promise that's been promised throughout the prophets for centuries. The promise of redemption. And then Zechariah is going to conclude his song by telling us why all these promises have been fulfilled. Verse 78, and here's the answer. Because of the tender mercies of our God. That's why. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, Zechariah has an aha moment after doubting God, after not having faith. And he says, I get it. I now know who Messiah is. And he's come to free us, not politically, but spiritually. And as he's realizing this, as he has faith in God, he realizes that Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord of lords and King of kings who protects us and reigns forever. Jesus is the one that fulfilled the Davidic promise. And that's why we read in Revelation 11:15, John writes this, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Zechariah gets it. He says, I got it. It's Jesus who's fulfilled promise number two, the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus is going to be our righteousness, imputed righteousness. And that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Zechariah is saying, that's why I'm celebrating. I get it. Promise number three. The promise given through the prophets. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is Messiah, Savior. And Paul writes in Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Zechariah got it. Knew who Messiah is. Do you? Do you know who Messiah is? Do you truly understand who Jesus is and what he did for you? If you're not there, it needs to start there. That's faith. Faith. Ephesians 2.8 says that we've been saved by grace through faith. Not of our works. There's nothing you and I or anybody could ever do to merit salvation. The only one that did was Messiah, Jesus. Through his sacrifice at the cross and his resurrection three days later, if we trust in that work and not in our works, we are saved. All these promises are fulfilled through Messiah. Do you know Messiah as your Savior or do you just know Messiah here? In knowledge and not in heart. Because if you don't, just come before him. And in your heart realize what he did was sufficient. Now at this point you're probably wondering, okay, that was a great little Bible study, Pastor. Thanks. But how, how does that have to do with faith? My question about faith. <laughs> I believe Zachariah got it at that moment. And here's, I believe, Zechariah changes perspective when it came to faith. And here's my sermon point for you this morning. See, faith 
is not waiting on God to do. It's knowing that he already did. See, I believe we have this concept of faith, God, where are you? When are you going to show up? When are you going to show up? No, 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 no. God has already shown up. It is done. And that's why I believe Zechariah starts his song in verse 68 saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed. Past tense, it's done. That's what faith is, changing our perspective, realizing that God is God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is everything. And so when we read in Genesis 1, as God spoke creation, he created everything. He created the universe. He created time. God is outside of time. And so when he says in Genesis 3 to the serpents, my seed from the woman will bruise the heel of the serpent. Done. It was done. That's why I believe when God spoke to Abraham, said, Abraham, leave your country and go and your seed will bless many nations. Abraham didn't doubt. It says in Hebrews, by faith. Why? Because he knew it was done. Moses, in the same manner, I believe, as he's going through the desert with his Israelite nation, he comes in front of the Red Sea. He looks back and sees the Egyptians, and God says, raise your staff and watch what I can do. Moses doesn't say, man, it's going to make me look kind of weird, God. You better show up. No, no. He trusted God, and what happens? The sea parted, and they went. Why? Because Moses had faith, because it was done. Mary, as we're going to see next week, Gabriel tells her, you are going to have a child through the Holy Spirit. And Mary says this by faith, let your word be done. Why? Because Mary knew that with God, nothing's impossible because God already did. And when Jesus is praying the garden saying, let not my will be done, but let your will be done. He had faith because he knew it was done. And at the moment he hung on the cross and said it was finished, it was finished. Church, what if we change our perspective and not wait to God to come and show up, but realize even though it doesn't seem, even though it doesn't look like that, we can trust in him and say, it is done. I know my marriage isn't working. I know financially I'm down. I have an illness, but God, you've been there. You've done that. Church, change our perspective and not have faith on what? What's going to happen? But have faith on him who's already gone before us. And God is not a liar. He always keeps his promise. I love this church. This is a family. But you know what I'm going to add? This is a faithful family. Because I look around and I see faith, faith, faith. And together... We can celebrate this Christmas, a song of faith, knowing God, you have done it. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks. Thanks and praise. That you are the alpha, you are the omega, you are the beginning and the end. Nothing surprises you, God. Father, instill in our hearts an aha moment like you did Zechariah. Thinking, wow, how could I ever doubt God? How could I not be sure even though things don't seem to be? Let me change my perspective and have faith in you, Father. That your promises always are true. Just like we just saw. And even though it might take centuries, 
we know that one day all these issues that we have will no longer be. We know that one day death will no longer be. And we know, Father, because of the sacrifice of your son, these things are done. Let us be a church that throughout this whole season of Advent, proclaim and sing a song of faith. Sing and give praise to Messiah, your son Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. I love you, church.